What's up, coaches? This is Whitney from the Get the Pancake podcast, a podcast for volleyball coaches. I've got a very exciting episode for you today. I'm going to be answering questions that you submitted through Instagram stories to Get the Pancake. Now, I'm a little bit sad, to be honest, because I got so many great questions and I'm not going to be able to get through all of them in this episode. But don't worry if I don't get to your question there's a good chance that I will be able to answer it in next week's episode. So come back next week and you'll hear even more great questions that coaches just like you submitted. And we've got a lot of information to cover, so we're just going to dive into it right now. The first question for the day, what is the best way to handle terrible calls made by the ref to avoid momentum swings? I love this question because I feel like when have you played a volleyball match and a mistake wasn't made by either a referee, line judge, even the scorekeeper, you know, there's always something that ends up going wrong. Personally, a lot of that I believe is because we have 14 year olds making calls, but that's not the issue we're addressing here. So let's assume that the up ref maybe missed a touch or doesn't overrule a line judge when the call is clearly incorrect. How do we stop our team from just sort of imploding or getting furious? Well, the answer is simple as a concept, but put into practice might be more challenging for some of you than others. The simple answer is this. Do not freak out. (laughs) You as a coach set the tone for your players. So why is this important? Momentum shifts happen when emotions get high. I believe there are two different kinds of momentum shifts, and that's ones that happen because of positive occurrences and those that happen because of something negative. Now, if your team goes up and smashes an awesome play down, for example, you're probably going to build some momentum, and that's going to be one of those positive momentum shifts. Let's say you get two or three of those in a row and you are on a roll. The momentum is clearly on your side. Now, when something negative happens, let's say that the up ref doesn't see a touch and therefore your team loses a point. Maybe it's a big point. Maybe it was a really long rally. Now, that has potential to cause a momentum shift because of negativity. If your team starts getting mad and yelling and everything just sort of piles on, then the other team is going to benefit from that. However, the other team also knows that their player touched the ball or the ball was clearly out and they know it. So they're not getting a huge boost in momentum. Obviously, it's nice to get that extra point. And if it's a close match or you're getting close to the end of the match, then it it is going to bump up their momentum a little bit. However, the most damage occurs when your team breaks down. So if you have what you perceive to be a terrible call by the referee, just accept it. You know, if it's not a carry or a double or some sort of a judgment call, feel free to ask for clarification or send your captain up to talk to the referee to see if they can ask the line judge if they saw a touch, for example, and then you kind of slow the momentum down in that way. But if the referee just misses it, you are not going to gain anything by getting mad. Not only is it going to bring your team down, but referees also know when they make a bad call. 
I don't know about you, if you've ever had to be an up ref. When I first started coaching, the teams had to go and be the up ref. They didn't uh, hire outside referees. And I'm not even kidding you. The very first play, I was terrified to be up on that ref stand and I missed four hits. Like one of the most basic calls that there is. And I just completely missed it. Fortunately, the team that had four hits also hit it out of bounds, so it didn't matter. But I realized that I missed calling it sooner as soon as the crowd started freaking out on me. And I can tell you for a fact that that did not improve my judgment throughout the rest of the match. Now, obviously, if you're in middle school, high school, it's very rare that you're going to get a referee on their very first night of refing. However, that doesn't take away a lot of the pressure that they feel. And when you have a coach yelling, that allows the players to yell. Once the team is yelling and grumbling, that allows the crowd to get in on it too. That does not create a good environment for a referee to make calls with a clear mind. So let your team know, this is what I do with my teams every year. If there's a bad call, so what? Like, that's not the only play in the game. Have I lost my temper before? Yes, I have. I can't say that I am cool-headed 100% of the time, but I can tell you it didn't help. And honestly, once you start yelling, I know I always feel like an idiot afterwards, but I don't know how you feel. That's just how I feel because usually you say stupid things. At least I do. So that was the long answer. My short answer, what's the best way to handle terrible calls? To avoid momentum swings, just brush it off, say we'll get the next one, and move on from there. That way the other team doesn't get a boost from your negative reaction, and they probably realize that it was a mistake as well, so that could even take away from their momentum. So you're not necessarily gaining momentum from that reaction, but you're certainly not helping the other team. Great question. Thank you so much for sending that in. Okay, the next question that I want to talk about today is... How can I get girls to practice defense with game intensity? This is a great question because not only is defense tough to practice with game intensity, but so is offense. In my experience, we maybe have too much fun at practices sometimes, and that does take away from the intensity that we need to be practicing with in a game. You think when you're back on defense, there's a lot riding on getting that pass up. So you want to play games that are quick with a lot of pressure to perform a successful defensive move. I'm going to give you two drills that I think do this the best. And don't worry, I will include links in the description. Those two games are the free ball, down ball game and Vegas. Those are my two favorites for a couple of reasons. First, the free ball, down ball game. I love it because you can you can run the drill the same way, but you can change it to have a lot of different goals. So let's say in defense, your team has been struggling with defending hits from the middle. Maybe you make it so that little points are only earned from middle hits. So then your team is going to get practice defending those middle hits and it's going to be game-like intensity because it's so quick moving and possession changes quickly. So there's a lot of competition built into that drill. Or maybe you can only get a little point if the pass is at least a two or a three pass. So either right to target or just a couple steps away. Maybe that's the only way that you get a little point. So that's going to push your defensive players 
to get that pass right on target. That way they can earn a point. There's going to be a little bit of peer pressure as well, which is my favorite way to put pressure on players in practice. Because if your outside hitter, for example, is going up and getting kills, but it's off of passes that are ones, that does nothing for your team. So your defense starts to feel pressure from the outside hitter. Like, come on, guys, you got to get a better pass up. I know you don't want them necessarily talking to each other like that, depending on what their tone is. But there is going to be that built-in pressure with the free ball, down ball game. Um, Vegas. So disclaimer, I did not come up with Vegas. I found it online. There's a free video. I have a description of it on my website and a link to this video. I, I will tell you, it is very confusing the first time that you run it. So I highly recommend that you watch the video a couple times through. But once your team understands how it works, it is awesome. There was one year when I was coaching where I had a team that really just struggled with being competitive. That wasn't their thing. And this is around the time when I found the Vegas drill and I introduced it to them. And I had girls diving all over the place, sweating like they have never sweated before. Overall, it was just a great practice. I love to end practices with either of these games because they are so game-like, so intense. I don't think I've ever had them go poorly. So it is always a great way to end practice with one of these two games. And honestly, after we played Vegas that one time, my players, like we could have done Vegas for the whole practice and they would have been happy. They would have been exhausted, but they would have been happy. So if you're struggling to get your girls to practice defense with game-like intensity, I recommend the free ball down ball game and Vegas. Again, those links, I will be including them. So make sure to check the description. The next question that we got, I think is very interesting. And I'm really glad that this coach asked the question because I think a lot of us are put in this position, but we don't necessarily want to say it. So I'm really glad that you sent this in. The question is, how do you stay confident as a coach when some of your players are better than you? And then they had a really cute, um, embarrassed emoji. So I've got to tell you, I have always, 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 always had players who are better than me. Specifically, that's because I am a horrible setter. So I've got two things to say about this. One is skill specific. So when I played, I was a middle blocker and an outside hitter who also played all around. And very rarely was I ever instructed to work on my setting skills, which is something that I'm sad about because I think setting and overhand passing, those are both very important skills for everyone to learn. But for whatever reason, a lot of coaches just only focus on teaching their setters how to set and they don't spend time teaching the rest of the team. Now, let me be very clear. I do know how to set. I understand setting mechanics. I know what you're supposed to do. I understand strategies. And I feel very confident in teaching setters and even taking players who are not setters and making them setters. I am able to watch a set, determine what is right, what is wrong, and how to fix it. I've had some really talented setters that I've coached, and I've watched them have success setting later on as well. But 
if you throw a ball high to me, I'm probably going to back up and pass it because my personal setting skills are horrible. Honestly, I think that's just because I don't spend a lot of time practicing that skill. I've had to practice it more over the years as I get more involved in coaching, but every setter that I've ever had, even at the 14 and under level, and even some players who, now this wasn't my player, but she was in our club program. I think she was 10 years old, way better setter than me, but I feel confident coaching them because I've put in the time to learn the techniques, learn the tactics, learn the strategies. Obviously, it's a little easier to teach when you're able to demonstrate the skill yourself and say, hey, watch me. This is how you do it. But you can get around that by studying, you know, whatever your learning style is, whether you're reading about how to set, watching videos about how to set, sitting at home practicing how to set. You need to take the time to educate yourself. That way you can confidently go into practices, go into lessons, and give players the correct information. So that's skill specific. And that could be applied to anything. Maybe you're not the best passer. Maybe you're not the best blocker, but you can study those things. You can learn the skills. I always like to have a setter assistant coach with me for that reason. So I can say, Hey, watch coach Katie. She's going to show you how to set. And then I'm going to tell you all the reasons why she's doing it correctly. Um, Or even just send the player with your setting coach. That's one way to get around players being quote unquote better than you in a specific skill. What I think you were actually asking is maybe just your your entire team or a group of players on your team. What do you do when they're just all around more talented than you are at volleyball? I will say that I have always coached at a lower level because there's a couple of reasons, but one reason is that I feel very confident in instructing 14, 15, 16-year-olds on how to improve in their skill, how to work as a team, teaching them strategies. I recently had the opportunity to work with an 18 and under team, which I've never coached 18 and under. I've been an assistant coach at the high school varsity level, and I felt perfectly fine at high school varsity, but 18 and under club, if you're at a high-level club, is a whole different ballgame, people. This wasn't even the top 18 and under team for the club. And I'll be honest, when I showed up, I was like, holy cow, what did I just sign myself up for? These girls are good. It took me a couple of practices before I started giving them any sort of instruction. And I think that's fine with any team. Once you go in to coach, you always want to watch them, see how everything flows. You can't just, in my opinion come in and start giving instructions right away. I always like to see where is everyone at, maybe what players need specific instruction, what does the whole group need to work on. So when you have a group of players that appear to be better than you, you can probably get away with coaching them for one or two practices just by running general practices and working on all skills. But you are going to have to do a lot of research. And okay, It doesn't matter if your players are better than you on the court because I don't know if you guys have watched um, like college volleyball, but there are a bunch of old dudes (laughs) that coach these teams and I really doubt that they are on the court digging up hits from those huge middle blockers. I just don't see it. 
in order to coach, you don't necessarily have to be able to outplay your players, but you have to understand the game at a level beyond where they're currently at. So if your players are beyond that level, guess what? You've got to buckle down and watch a lot of videos, maybe sign up for educational services that will teach you the game at a higher level, but you can't just go, oh, they're better than me and avoid them. (laughs) That's the absolute worst thing that you could do because your players will figure it out and then they'll talk to each other about it and then everyone will be talking about you behind your back, maybe to your face, telling you you don't know what you're doing. And like I said, you can get away with that for maybe a practice or two, but any longer than that and you will be exposed. (laughs) So what I like to do is I like to go on to YouTube. I like to search for college level instruction on fundamentals. And I always, always, always prep ahead of time. So if I know going into practice that today we're going to be working on defense, um, just to use my example from earlier, defense from a middle attack, maybe that's something that we really need to focus on, or just defense in general. I can tell you for a fact that I'm probably going to spend at least an hour, if not two, the night before practice, watching videos, learning from coaches who have put in more time than me, who have coached at a level higher than me. Also, I don't know if you have a wide network of coaching friends yet. I have like a handful of coaches that if I have a question, I'll reach out to them and say, hey, I'm really struggling with this concept. What do you got? And usually we have a good back and forth and that gives me maybe more information to look into, but you just need to put in the time to educate yourself. You don't have to go out there, smash the ball down to prove a point. In fact, if you cannot play at the same level as your players, I recommend you don't get on the court. I know that a lot of us enjoy coaching because we get to play volleyball with our players sometimes, but the purpose isn't for you to have fun. Sorry if that's why you're coaching. We gotta change something there. The purpose of you coaching is to make your players better, And if you're going to bring down the level of play, be honest with yourself, don't get on the court. Not only is it going to drag things down and slow things down, but once your players realize that your level is below them, they're going to lose respect from you. So just to quickly summarize everything, if it's skill related, don't worry, that's fine. Either find an assistant coach who can complement your skill set and make up for that weakness um, in your playing ability. And whether it's skill related or just all around playing level, just educate yourself and make sure that you know what's coming up next for the players and that you're teaching them those skills. Now, the higher the level is, the faster the play is and the harder it is to kind of break down what's going on and assess their skills. Make sure this is okay with your school program. Make sure it's okay with your club program. But if you can do slow-mo video of your players and obviously make sure it's okay with your players and their parents, but if you can do slow-mo video of them, that will help you a lot in breaking down their skills. So maybe if you want to just do like a skills day where you do slow-mo video of everyone hitting, everyone blocking, or probably just your front row doing those, and then everyone passing, everyone setting, just do slow-mo videos of those, and then you can take them home. This is going to take a lot of time, Coaching is not an easy job. If you want to do it well, though, you are going to have to invest some time into analyzing how they're contacting the ball and then 
comparing it to those instructional videos that you're finding online. This way, you're able to see it at a pace where you can actually process what's going on. Because again, if they're better than you, they're probably playing faster than what you can coach at. And that's okay, you will catch up, but take the time to assess that slow-mo video. And then when you go into practice, you'll have a lot, a lot, a lot of feedback for them. And then you'll come off as more knowledgeable because you're giving it to them in real time, in practice, and you already know what you're going to be looking for and what they need to tweak. Staying confident as a coach always comes from having more knowledge. Great question. Again, thank you for asking that. I think a lot of us have been in situations like that, but we don't know how to verbalize it or we're too embarrassed to ask for help in that situation. So overall, my recommendation is to always make sure that you can coach at the level that you're signing up for. If you get into a situation where the level is higher than what you're used to, just make sure you do a lot of research. The next question that we got through Instagram stories at Get the Pancake is what is the most effective huddle you have given to drive your team's energy when they're down? I'm going to start by giving advice on what not to do. (laughs) And man, did I find this out at the wrong time in our season. The team I was coaching, it was a 16 and under team. And man, I loved this team. They were high skill. They all got along. The attendance was a little bit of an issue. So we were always mixing up our lineups. But other than that, the team was great. We were at regionals. It was getting close to the end of the day. We were winning a lot. It was looking really promising that we were going to be playing for a medal. And this team that we were playing, ugh, I, I don't know about you, but I really do not like playing teams that cheer at you through the net. <laughs> like, I don't mind cheering. I don't mind obnoxious cheering. Okay, well, I don't necessarily like obnoxious cheering, but it doesn't make me angry. What makes me angry is when the team like cheers at you. And this match was just falling apart. It was a really long day. I think it was the second or third day of the tournament. This team was really high level, but we were hanging in there. And when we would make a mistake, they would just cheer at us and cheer at us. And I hated it. And my girls did not like it one bit either. And what ended up happening is I believe they won the first set. This is best two out of three. They won the first set. We took the second set from them. And on game point, my girls started cheering through the net at them. And if you've ever been coached by me or um, if you've ever heard me talk about it, there's only one thing that makes me mad as a coach, which is poor sportsmanship. I really am a very patient coach. I don't mind mistakes at all. I don't care if we're learning, losing, winning. My emotions are pretty stable as a coach. However, if I see bad sportsmanship, I lose it. And when my team started doing the very thing that I dislike the most in the whole wide world, I lost it. I yelled at them. I scolded them. I was telling them that they can't act like that and... Uh, guess what happened? We went out and lost that third set. The team beat us pretty easily. Like it must have been 15 to six or something. It was not a competitive match. And I am 100% responsible for that loss. And I feel horrible because I think I took that from my girls. I took a really great opportunity from them. 
because the huddle is not the time to point out what is going wrong or to reprimand or to scold, no matter how much you think they deserve it. What I should have done in that situation is just bring the focus back to our team and what we were doing well, what we can continue to execute on instead of just yelling at them. So what not to do when your team's energy is down, do not point out mistakes or scold your team. I'll give you some other examples because I think mine's pretty extreme, but when I was playing, some of the things that I heard coaches say were, are you guys going to start trying? Lindsay's the only one out there who's trying. You guys need to step it up. One, that doesn't do anything to pump me up unless I'm Lindsay. Two, now Lindsay feels awkward. In my experience and from books that I've read in the past, girls typically don't like to be singled out. So that might work for guys if you're coaching guys, but girls, I would steer clear of that. So basically just letting your frustration get the best of you is not the way to build up your team when their energy is down. Also, you can't just tell them like, hey guys, pick it up, let's go. Again, that's something that when we're at a loss of what to say, I know that's come out of my mouth more times than probably anything else because when you just don't know what to say, that's usually what comes out, but that's not helpful. So in my opinion, the best way to bring up your team's energy, especially if they're feeling down, is point out something that the team is doing well, include some tactical guidance, like their setter is cheating up on defense, go after her if you get a good opportunity, or something like that, and then give another encouraging word and have a high-intensity break that you always do from the huddle. So don't leave that break up to chance because it always gets awkward if you're like, are we done talking? Are we not done talking? Like, okay, woo team. So always just have like two claps or something. Say, bring it in, clap, clap, or go Huskies, clap, clap. Whatever you do, make it a routine to end the huddle. And that will sort of reset everyone's brain because it's like, okay, time to get back to business. Again, you want to start out by pointing out something that's going well. This can be something that the team is doing well or something that a player has done well. And I'll give examples of both. So the energy's down with your team, but what can we point out? We can always point out something that's going well. Maybe it's as basic as you guys are doing a really good job of getting into position. I mean, that's about as basic as it can get. <laughs> but for younger teams, that's that might be something difficult for them to do and that's worth pointing out that they are doing it correctly. Or it could be like, you guys are getting back on defense really fast. Uh, now we just need to execute on our front row attacks. The corners are wide open, so our pin players are outside and right side. If you can go for that deep line shot, if you've got a good set, go for it. Or if you wanna give individual feedback, I always, always love bringing up something that a passer is doing or if your setter is working her butt off. Those front row players, they get all the credit all the time. So unless someone is like blocking or doing something insane like three back-to-back -back blocks or kills, you can point that out. But I always like to say like, man, did you guys see Audrey back there? She is digging up everything that comes her way. And then the whole team claps and gives her like pats on the back. One of my favorite things is to compliment one player because then all the other players subconsciously think, I want to get a compliment, and they step up their game. 
Same thing in practice. If you point out, wow, Natalie, you're doing a really great job of calling the ball every time you pass it. Suddenly, the entire gym will just get louder. So if you're going to single a player out, don't say, Lindsay's the only one trying. What is everybody else doing? You know, point out that Abby is really hustling to get to every ball and leave it at that. Don't tell everyone else that they need to do it too. Just leave it as Abby's doing a really great job and then give the tactical advice. Sometimes I struggle with this because, as I've said, I usually coach younger teams and unfortunately something I need to work on. My focus is too often on my own side of the net. I'm not always looking across the net to find opportunities. So what I like to do is I assign the player who is on the bench. So if my second middle is sitting out, it's her job to find the opportunities on the court for the middle that's in right now. And if we're in a timeout, I might ask like, hey, Rebecca, what did you see? How can you help Misha with her attacks in the front row? And then she'll let Misha know you should go to the right because the left back is really slow getting into defense. And then that player has something to focus on and that helps. Okay, so summarize, do not reprimand or say negative things. This is my opinion, obviously. Some coaches might find that other tactics work better for them, but um, I always like to keep it positive. Start by saying something that someone is doing well and encourage everyone to clap for them and give them a pat on the back or point out something that the entire team is doing well. Provide specific instruction that will most likely lead to the next point. An encouraging word like, we've got it, we can do it, let's bring it in. Clap, clap, storm. Do your break that you always do, so make sure you have a routine there. And that is the most effective way that I have found to bring up a team's energy in a huddle. Now, I saved the most submitted question for last, and this was phrased a couple of different ways, so it might not be specifically your question, but a lot of coaches were wondering, here's one example, what is the best way to handle a player that consistently acts like they don't care? Another person submitted, if a player acts out really badly and won't behave, what should we do if we can't change her? So I got a lot of questions basically about what do you do about a player who doesn't listen, low intensity, etc. I really like how this person said, if we can't change her. Most likely, especially in a school season, you won't be able to change a player's attitude just by having one-on-ones and talking to them and trying to explain the importance of being a team player. What I've found anytime that I have a player on my team who is behaving poorly, every time I have a player or two or three players who are disruptive, it's one of two reasons. One could be a player might seem like they don't care because they don't have a full understanding of what you're asking. And instead of coming out and saying that they don't understand, which is like super embarrassing, they try to play it off and look cool in front of their friends instead. This is the player who looks like she doesn't care because she doesn't dive for anything, but actually she just doesn't know how to dive. And instead of calling this player out in front of everybody, I would suggest having a one-on-one with that player and saying, I noticed that whenever you have to dive for the ball that you're not going all out. Is there something that we need to work on? Is there something that's not clear? This could kind of give that player an out. Like they could, maybe the player doesn't realize that they're acting like they don't care. I mean, think about it. A lot of teenagers, I know I was like this myself, teenagers just have zero 
awareness of anything except for what is happening to them at that moment. So they might not realize that how they're acting negatively impacts the team. I know that seems ridiculous, but I believe that that's true. So when you say, do you not understand how to dive because it's really bringing everyone down, let's maybe spend five minutes real quick to go over it so I make sure you know how to do it correctly. Then, especially if they are just trying to act cool in front of their friends, they're going to avoid those one-on-ones after practice, which probably don't seem cool. And so they're going to start diving, even if they don't want to, because they don't want to have those one-on-ones. Or they just honestly might not understand and they do need it broken down. So if it seems like someone doesn't care, don't automatically get mad at them. It just might be how they're dealing with not understanding what's going on. Talking to them is the easiest way to figure that out. But if you think it's more bad behavior rather than a lack of understanding, so this is our second reason that we have players who are disruptive in practice. That second reason is this player just needs more discipline, more structure, because they aren't able to focus as much at practice. Why aren't they able to focus? Sorry to tell you, but your practices probably aren't engaging enough. And guess how I know that? I know that because... I was that coach that was running practices that aren't engaging enough. I've done it every season. It's something that I struggle with. Like I mentioned earlier, I have a lot of patience. I'm pretty low-key, pretty chill. And so running a high-intensity practice every single day is a struggle for me. But if you get in a situation where you have players on your team who are being disruptive, you have to change your coaching style. Now, this is actually something that I'm writing about right now. Um, I'm hoping to have another book out by October 2019 that talks about coaching style and how you adapt to different coaching situations. And this is one of the ones that really impacted me as a coach. I had a team where basically nobody on the team had any self-discipline. It was a really tough season for me as a coach because prior to that, I had teams where they would start practice without me even saying like, okay, guys, it's time to go. So I was very spoiled in my first couple of years of coaching because I had excellent self-starters, disciplined teams. Um, And so when I ran into this team where nobody was disciplined, it was a complete shock. And even if it's not comfortable for you as a coach to change your coaching style, tough. Again, you're coaching for the kids and you're making a better environment for them if you cater it to the participants on your team. And sometimes that means that you need to up the intensity so that there is less chance for them to be misbehaving. Again, I'm only able to say this because this happened to me too. I've been this coach before. It'll probably happen again. It's a tough change that you have to make. But if you don't make it, then you stand no chance. So running a more disciplined practice includes faster drills, including more people in every drill so that there's constant movement. Your disruptive players are kind of taken out of their element because they have to constantly be moving. But if they still find a way to disrupt practice, you have to just have a no-nonsense policy. Just if you're going to be disruptive, go sit out. I don't want to deal with it. Easier said than done, and you have to apply it fairly. So if you've got this girl that's always misbehaving, go and sit her out, have her come back in with the next drill. And then all of a sudden the angel on the team does something wrong, have her sit out. She's probably going to (laughs) cry, so it'll be a little uncomfortable. But you have to apply it fairly so that everyone on the team knows, like, okay, like coach is no nonsense. Either we follow the rules or we sit out. 
and it doesn't have to be for the whole practice just do it for the next drill so it's no more than 10 to 15 minutes and if it continues to be an issue then you need to start having meetings so overall if you have a player who maybe seems like they don't care and they're not taking it seriously talk to them about it they just might have something that they don't understand but if someone is having like poor behavior and disrupting practice that's when you need to just up the intensity at practice. Every practice is going to get exhausting if you're not used to it, but the whole team will benefit from it, I promise you. And if that player continues to be disruptive, have them sit out. If it continues beyond a couple of practices where they're sitting out every single day, you need to start having meetings with the player, with the family, and move forward from there. Now, as a bonus, there was another question that a coach sent in that's sort of related, but I think they're gearing up for their next season. They said, I have a player that wants to return for me, but I can't handle her attitude. Tips for that conversation. Now, this is my own personal opinion, and it is because I have a high dislike of drama. If you have a player who played for you in the past and had a horrible attitude, maybe was treating her teammates poorly, didn't listen at practice. I'm sorry, the answer is no. One player who is disruptive at practice, who takes away from nine other players, 10 other players, 11 other players, it's not worth it. And especially if I've had this player before and I know what their attitude is like, especially if you've had to meet with them before to discuss their attitude and now they're wanting to come back again. No, it's just a no. I'm not going to take away a good season from an entire team just to give a player with a bad attitude another chance. Trust me, I am the queen of second and third chances. I really honestly believe that everyone, especially teenagers, like I said, they aren't always aware of how their actions impact others. But if you've repeatedly told them that they are impacting the team, that their attitude needs to change, and nothing is changing, they can go to a different club. When I was playing, my family drove 45 minutes for me to play at a higher level club in the area that was the right fit for us. If I had had behavior issues, well, first of all, I guarantee that my parents would not have let me continue. I would have been in big trouble, but I wouldn't have been surprised if that club turned me down and I had to go to a different club that was maybe an hour away in the other direction. Don't sacrifice a good season for 90% of your players for one player who's probably going to drag the team down again. If the attitudes were clashing the last time that you had them, it's probably going to happen again. And maybe they're just a better fit for a different club, a different coach, a different group of players. If there's not another option for that player, that's too bad. They already had their chance and they blew it. I don't typically take that strong of a stance. I know it's a lot easier for me to sit here and say that, but I would be comfortable myself sitting in on a meeting with that player, with their family, and saying, I'm happy that you would like to come back to the team. However, based on our past experiences, I don't think it's a good fit. I would like to recommend that you go and check out this program, this program, or this program. Good luck, and I wish the best for you, but you will not be playing with my team this season. At a school, you don't really have a choice unless you get the approval from the AD, but if you're at a club, I would talk to your director and just make sure that they're on the same page and they agree with you. Anytime you're making a negative contact with someone, you want to make sure that you give the people above you a heads up that that's what you think is best. 
make sure that they agree with you. If they disagree with you, feel free to continue to disagree with them and push for what you want because it's going to impact you. Your director isn't going to lose sleep over a player that's disrupting practice, which you knew was going to happen. So push for what you believe is right, offer these suggestions, offer the solutions, and move forward from there. Okay, that was a lot, a lot of content today. Again, I have so many more great questions that I received through Get the Pancakes Instagram. I'm hoping to get to a lot of those next week in the podcast. So if you haven't already, make sure that you subscribe to the podcast so you get notifications when a new episode comes out. And if you're able to, please go in and review the podcast. That would help me understand how I'm doing and if the information I'm giving is beneficial to coaches. And if you do like this content, more ratings helps it get in front of more people. As always, thank you for listening to the podcast. Don't forget to check out Get the Pancake on Instagram and go to getthepancake.com. Thank you so much, and I will see you in the next episode.